Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, as we gather before your word today, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and obey what you have commanded. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our scriptures this morning, uh, first one comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Matthew came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And now from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing this morning in our sermon series on living in light of the resurrection. As people who have heard the good news that Jesus Christ is risen and who have been claimed by him as his own for eternal life, there are certain qualities that should define us as Christians. And perhaps one of the most fundamental things that should be evident in followers of Jesus is forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but I hit a bit of a wall about a week ago. Perhaps it was the eight weeks of being cooped up with my family in our house with every day looking the same and nowhere to go. Perhaps it was the cooler weather that moved in and made getting outside far less pleasant. Perhaps it was the buildup of stress, not knowing exactly how to navigate this new world in which we are all living. Perhaps it was the accumulation of so much bad news surrounding the coronavirus including one disappointment and cancellation after another with the likelihood of so many more to come. Perhaps it was worrying about the well-being of my congregation and my staff and my family. Perhaps it was not having been able to be with my church family in person and the likelihood that this situation is going to go on for a lot longer than any of us had imagined it would. Whatever it was, I hit a wall that made it hard for me to want to keep going, to keep trudging down this long and uncertain road that we are all on together. 
But then I remembered that verse from Hebrews that urges us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Run with perseverance. You know, one dictionary defines perseverance as the quality that allows someone to continue trying to do something even though it is difficult. And of the many things that are difficult for us as followers of Jesus, there is perhaps nothing more difficult to continue trying to do than to forgive. And yet, forgiveness is not only commanded of us by Jesus and Paul, it is also critical to our ability to run the race of faith because there is nothing that weighs us down more in life than holding on to our hurt and our anger and our resentment. Knowing this, Jesus has just been talking with his disciples about how to handle situations when they are wronged by other members of the church. But by this point, Peter had started to figure out that the answer to most of Jesus' questions was grace. And so perhaps in an attempt to show Jesus just how well he had been listening and understood the concept, Peter asks, so Jesus, if someone sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? Now, you have to understand, the rabbis of the day said that three was more than a sufficient number of times to forgive someone for wrongdoing. But Peter more than doubles it, showing just how magnanimous he was trying to be. And yet, it also showed that he still did not understand what forgiveness was all about, for he assumed that grace is a limited resource. But Jesus responds by saying, not seven times, but 77 times. In fact, we we can't actually be certain what the text says. Jesus might be saying 70 times seven times. In other words, more times than you could possibly keep track of. After all, grace, if it is truly grace, does not keep score. Instead, it continues to forgive time and time again. Now this is one of the things that many of us really struggle with in our faith. After all, don't we all have people in our lives whom we just can't seem to forgive because they have wronged us one too many times or they've taken terrible advantage of our generosity and our kindness or they've left wounds that still have not healed? Maybe it's a boss who really did you wrong and cost you your job, or maybe it's a friend who betrayed you or a spouse who cheated on you. Maybe it's a parent who abandoned you or a child who broke your heart. Or maybe it's just that person in your life who continues to push your buttons and make your life difficult. 
And for these special people in our lives, we tend to reserve a special place in our hearts, a place where we continue to stew on what they have done, where we imagine all the things we love to say to them or do to them, a place where we stoke our righteous anger like a fire, keeping it alive and hot. We might even begin to enjoy it. As Frederick Buechner writes, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. This is why Jesus is so adamant about us learning to forgive without keeping score. When we don't, we are not really hurting the other person, we're just hurting ourselves. You see, resentment eats away at the image of God within us, which makes us less and less human, and we become but skeletons of what God created us to be. But Jesus came to restore the image of God within us that we might become fully human and fully alive. But for that to happen, we have to be free. And nothing holds us in chains quite like the inability to forgive, which in the end is actually a form of idolatry. You see, when we cannot forgive someone, when we hold on to anger and bitterness, we are giving that person a great deal of power and control over us. In a way, they become our master and we become their slave. The trouble is, we cannot serve two masters. In Jesus Christ, God came to break all of our chains and set us free that we might love and serve him alone with our whole heart and mind and strength. And he refuses to be the God of an enslaved people. But the only way for us to remain free, to fully devote ourselves to God, is to be liberated from our hurt and our resentment by the power of forgiveness. As Lewis Smedes has said, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And then you discover that the prisoner was you. Of course, sometimes the toughest person to forgive is yourself. For many of us, particularly those of us who are perfectionists, it is so hard to let go of some of the mistakes we've made in our lives. 
We just keep reliving them over and over in our mind. And many of us keep making the same mistakes and falling into the same traps again and again. We keep losing our temper with our kids or our parents or our employees. We keep falling back into that destructive behavior that we are determined never to do again. We keep blowing it, and sometimes the shame can be overwhelming. We can even begin to think that surely God cannot forgive us for what we have done. But like Peter, that simply shows that we have not yet fully understood the nature of grace. For God's forgiveness is not a limited resource. No, day by day, it continues to wash over us anew like the rising of the morning sun. And so even though we can become so discouraged by our own failures and our struggles to forgive, Jesus keeps saying to us, this is a new day that I have made. It's time for you to rejoice and be glad in it. So open up the curtains of your heart and receive my grace. And then get back out there and try again. In many ways, this is really what the Christian life is all about, engaging in repeated acts of faithfulness, love, sacrifice, and forgiveness, despite our hurt and our disappointment and our failure. No matter how many times we have responded faithfully in the past, the next time the opportunity comes around and we look questioningly at Jesus, he just smiles at us and says, do it again. But sometimes that can be so difficult. As you all know, there have been so many things that have been canceled due to the coronavirus, creating an enormous amount of disappointment in all of us, but especially for our young people. One of the things that I am most disappointed about for our church is that the youth mission trip to the Dominican Republic had to be canceled. And thinking about that reminded me of another international youth mission trip that had to be canceled because of a virus. Many of you may remember back in 2014 when the chikungunya virus was the news of the day. Oh, if only we could go back to the chikungunya virus. Our youth that year were supposed to go to Haiti that summer, but... At the last moment, we had to cancel because things had gotten too risky. So instead, we took a trip down to West Virginia and ended up having a wonderful experience and did some great work there together. We split up into several groups and went to work on different homes. The team that I was on was working with a family who lived in a small trailer way up in the hills. There were four kids, eight dogs, and 14 birds. And the place was a mess. Dirt and food and animal feces everywhere. Some of the girls in our group decided to 
take it upon themselves to clean up the place, scrubbing it from top to bottom, even laying down new linoleum on the floor. They were so proud of this generous work they did. The next morning, however, we came back to find the place a complete and utter mess once again. The dogs had even gone to the bathroom on the new floor and nobody had bothered cleaning it up. And our girls were really upset. They had done all this hard work, given so much of themselves, sacrificed so much. But the family kept living as if nothing had ever changed. As if the slate had not been wiped clean. As if the mess had not been cleaned up and they had not been given a fresh start. And so the girls got back down on their hands and knees and they cleaned it up again. Later when some of us were talking about what had happened, And the girls were expressing their very understandable frustration. It occurred to me that surely this must be exactly how God often feels about us. After all, God came down to us in Jesus Christ and got his hands dirty, even bloody, in order to clean up the mess that we had made and the hurt that we had done to ourselves and to others. And he took it all onto himself and dealt with it once and for all on the cross so that we might finally be free. And yet, we keep living as if nothing had ever changed, as if we hadn't been given a fresh start, as if the mess that we had made had not been wiped clean. We keep holding ourselves prisoner to our anger and our resentment, and our hurt. We keep beating ourselves up with guilt for the mistakes we have made. Oh, how this must break the heart of God to see us still living in chains as if everything had not changed for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet... The grace of God is not a limited resource. No matter how many times we blow it, every time we come to God in confession asking for forgiveness, Jesus just looks at his Father and says, I died for this one. Do it again. And as far as the east is from the west... So far does God remove our transgressions from us again and again and again. But confession alone does not free us from the chains of our guilt. For not only do you have to admit that you need grace, but you have to receive God's forgiveness if you're ever going to be free And the best way to tell if you have received it is that you have become a person who gives it. 
For when you cannot forgive others, then that can only mean that you have failed to receive God's forgiving grace into your own heart. And that means that you are still a prisoner of sin, a slave to your own self-righteousness or your anger or your guilt. The only way to be set free is to believe the good news of the gospel that in Jesus Christ you have been forgiven, that your debt has been paid in full and then to pass that grace on to others again and again and again. For in the words of C.S. Lewis, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Not just seven times, but every time. Thanks be to God that the amazing grace we have received in Jesus Christ is an unlimited resource. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.